The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to Intuitive Connections, where spirituality and psychology meet to help you be your best and brightest self. I'm your host, Victoria Shaw, and in each episode, I'll help you to awaken your own inner wisdom, step into your power, and live a more divinely inspired life. You're here to let your inner light shine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to Intuitive Connection. Today, I have a fantastic guest who is here to talk to us about the grief process and so many other things. Her name is Beth Sagaloff, and she is a licensed master of social work, life coach, Reiki master, registered yoga teacher, and oh, this one I'm totally curious about, certifier walk instructor, and she is also a mom. So Beth, welcome. Thank you, Victoria. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. So Beth, I would love if you could just fill the listeners in a little bit about you, what you do, and then we'll get to the meat of what is grief yoga. I'm so curious. Sure. So I'll try to give the the short version of how I got to sort of where I'm sitting today. I was a school social worker for about 16 plus years and absolutely loved my job. Very passionate about working with children and families and within my career, you know, life was continuing and I got married and we had a son and very soon after my son was born, probably when he was about two, my marriage dissolved, we got divorced, which was sort of the first really big life change, obviously. And as we talk about grief, grief comes in many forms, you know, it's not solely related to to death. So this was a loss of my marriage, a loss of my expectation of what my life was to be. I continued working my job as a school social worker, raising my son, and I was fortunate enough to have that most magical moment of falling in love instantly. And it was that moment where I knew my life was changed forever. And all the dreams and the hopes, and we very quickly got engaged. And Ben said to me very early on, I have good news and bad news. And the good news is that we're getting married next summer. And this was about maybe a month or so into our dating. And the bad news is I'm getting deployed. And so we started to prepare for the deployment and for our future. He really connected very quickly with my son as well, which was the sweetest. And he deployed in July of 2009 and was killed in October. Wow. And that was sort of an unspoken, life-changing, just shattering experience. My life is very much now a before and after Ben's death. And I continued working in school and 
over the next few years, I started opening up to different types of healing for myself. As a therapist, I was very, you know, I'd had years of going to therapy for many different life challenges. And I found myself obviously back in therapy after he died. Then I again started opening up to energy healing. And one of my first experiences, it was just this most amazing sense of peace and connection and calm that I had not been able to feel. And I found yoga again. And I found that when I got on my yoga mat, I'm a runner. And so I decided to come back to yoga as a way to stretch. (laughs) And what happened on the mat really was some of the most healing because I started to allow myself to really feel, which I thought I was doing and I was. And at the same time, being able to be present and allow all of the stuff that we don't want to, that is not the fun part of healing, the real shadow, dark, dark side. Gave myself permission to just sometimes, you know, I just often laid on the mat and cried and cried and cried and cried. But the release that was happening from my body, you know, my body was letting go. So I started to really integrate the body, the breath, and the energy piece that was connected to my healing, which I didn't know before. And in the meantime, just because I'll bring up the fire walking, because that was sort of in the lineage of what has happened, I was early on connected with an organization called the American Widow Project, which is all military widows. And this group also was really just a pure lifesaver way of connection and hope and amazingly healing. And in one of the retreats that we went on, we did things like break boards and walk on broken glass. And it was just like this shift of so much that there was just such a different empowerment and ways to move forward. So after that experience, I remember coming home and thinking of just like my current job situation, which I loved, but at the same time, I knew that all these other things were kind of knocking on my door. And so I slowly began to get certified in all of them. So I became a Reiki healer and I became a yoga teacher and I became a certified firewalk instructor. And then I decided to leave my school job, just realizing that my purpose was growing and I was taking baby steps to do that. But the baby step was also actually a big leap of leaving a school and saying, I'm just going out on my own. And what am I doing? Well, I'm just going to do Reiki. It was like, is that my career? But that was about six years ago. And it's morphed into, uh, I feel like completely and actually through COVID feeling like just a life of pure purpose, really integrating all of those modalities just to create space for people to heal. That's such a beautiful story. And thank you so much for sharing it with us because I know that's got to still be tender. It is because there's, you know, life is full of triggers. And I often think about where I am now and I know that there's great meaning to my life. And at the same time, I still wish he was here. Right. And miss him, miss him every day. And so your journey with the grief, it sounds like that was a really pivotal point in your life. And, you know, one of the things that I really heard you say that I think is so important is that oftentimes we have these experiences in life and when they happen, they just completely knock the winds, you know, out of our gut, out of our sails. And yet when the wind starts blowing again, right, and you catch your breath, it takes you in a direction that you never would have found otherwise. Has that been your experience? 
Absolutely. And that's when you say that I'm thinking about, I chose to get another sort of, I'm like addicted to certifications because it's always just a learning process, but I would do anything that would feel good, right? It's like anything that somebody would suggest, try this. And so I had decided to do a training in Let Your Yoga Dance, which is combining dance and using healing through the chakras. And so I found myself in Costa Rica for 10 days, right? So did I ever think that I would be dancing in the jungle in Costa Rica for 10 days? And that's where I met my dear friend, Paul Deniston, who is the one who created grief yoga. And so that was a moment too, that when I look back, it's who knew that that would have led to where I am now and integrating grief yoga into so much of what I do. Beautiful. All right. Let's talk a little bit about grief yoga. And before we do, I want to remind people of something that you touched on, which I think is so important is that we have sometimes in life, these big moments of grief. And I know many people are experiencing those now loss of a loved one, loss of a job, loss of a marriage. And then we have little grief all the time, moving to a new home, changing a job, right? Having your kiddos go off to college, having your kids go off after college. So I think that's such powerful work that you're doing because grief is such an integral part of life. And even those of us who haven't experienced those big grief moments, you know, grieving, it comes and goes throughout that life process, right? Absolutely. And also what I found so interesting along the way is when you get a group of people and they're talking maybe about their experiences. And like you were saying, there's the, you know, the little T and the big T, right? There's little trauma, there's big trauma. And so what I've heard so often in the grief world is like, your grief is the worst, right? So that there's no comparing. So if I'm sitting with somebody and they've experienced a divorce or a loss of a job or whatever it may be, pain is pain. Right. And so what I've often found is like, there's no reason to like, we're not competitively comparing whose grief is worse. But what I found so interesting since COVID is that the word grief has become much more welcomed. I think there was such a stigma against it. And I've definitely, I don't know if you've sensed this, but definitely sensed a shift because collectively, I don't know anyone who is getting out of this experience without some kind of uncertainty or loss of what they expected. And that's really what grief is, right? When those feelings that are stuck, what we expected and what is current happening. Yeah, that's such a beautiful way to put it. So grief is sort of that loss that comes when the world doesn't live up to our expectations. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. And I love something else that you said that's so important. And I know I say this to clients all the time, when it's happening to you, it sucks the most. Right. And I don't always say it like that, but it's so true because when it's your pain, I mean, it's your pain. And sometimes people put themselves down and they go, well, this isn't a big deal. I shouldn't be hurting that much right now. And, you know, they diminish what they're experiencing. And if it's happening to you, it stinks. And and you have to honor your own feelings. And sometimes comparison, you know, I always say if gratitude helps, if it's not like you should be grateful and you shouldn't be feeling what you're feeling, if gratitude is like, I've had this big loss and yet I'm so grateful that I still have what I have. That's a beautiful thing because that's holding those two feelings simultaneously. And that's magical. But if it becomes, you should be grateful that you just lost your job and not your, you know, your husband. Well, no, not at all. They're two different, completely different experiences. And that's right. where a lot of the work I hoped is 
creating that space where it gives people permission to just be in their experience and that then others around them can support them, whatever somebody's experience is. And I get, you know, it's also around timing. If somebody is, it depends on somebody's experience, I think, but it is so important to validate because right. Pain is pain. Right. I love what you said about timing too, because some people are probably familiar with Kubler-Ross's The Stages of Breathing. And I will have that reference because that is just such important work about the stages that we go through in grieving a loss. And full disclosure, when I was in sixth grade, I was thinking about this today. (laughs) We actually did, I was a dancer and we actually did like a death and dying dance where we danced out the the stages of death. So wow. (laughs) I know. Isn't that kind of crazy? Yeah, I still have that. So have you read the new book? I haven't read the new book. Oh, do tell. So David Kessler, who worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's also Paul's partner. Okay. So David has also become a dear friend of mine. And he created the sixth stage, which is meaning. And he's got a whole, you know, a really beautiful story and a very sad story that goes along with his book. And I'll save that for another time or I'm happy to share that somewhere else. But it has really been a huge part of my healing as well. And meaning it came that his book, which I actually have a little vignette in, came at such a potent time for me in realizing that like, oh, this is what this is. This is meaning what I'm doing. And that what is also true is that we can circle in between the stages. It's not linear. Right. And that is so important for people to know because it's not like, okay, anger, check. I guess I'm not going to feel that again. Hell no. Right. Right? Well, it's any processing anything is sort of like peeling an onion, right? And you get through a couple layers and lo and behold, there are more layers. And that's just how it works. And so in doing that, of course, you're going to cycle back through those different experiences and different pieces of the puzzle. And it's natural and normal. And, you know, sometimes there's an end point where people say, wow, I really found peace with that experience. And sometimes, you know, it's layers of peace and stages of finding peace. And you find a little bit of peace at the plateau and then you dig deeper and neither experience is right or wrong. That's right. And it's always from the place where you're standing, right? So where I feel peace today is different from when I felt peace, you know, six months ago, or when I felt anger about something at some point is different from my perspective now. So it is interesting to observe how they, or how I navigate through them at different points or wherever I am in my life. Yeah. And I love what you just said, because every once in a while in my work, I'll get someone and and you know a little bit about how I work, but you know, my guidance gives me the information. And so sometimes, you know, we'll be talking and the guides will say something like, you know, this really relates to some issues with your mother and the person this actually happened. And the person is like, oh no, not going there. You know, 50 years of therapy on that. We're done with that. And it's like, breathe. <laughs> but again, it's like you're in a different perspective now than you did when you started this journey. And sometimes, you know, you're climbing a mountain and if you're higher up, you might look at the town in a different way. And that's really valuable. And it doesn't mean that you climbed back down the mountain. It just means that now you have a different perspective and that that perspective is something that your spirit wants you to have. Yeah, I agree. I also have felt that Ben's death or any of the other earlier traumas that I've experienced, they're never going away. They're never going to be gone. They're never going to have not happened. What I found the most helpful perspective is that my relationship to them is changing from different points of my experience. 
That's beautiful. And you talked about meaning making. And I know like in the work that I do a lot of times, you know, that spiritual perspective and that kind of soul perspective can help people when they're ready and only when they're ready, because this is nothing that should ever be forced on yourself or others, but help them take that step back and see that broader perspective and go, oh, this, this is how that loss served me, or this is how that experience served me. Can you tell me a little bit about like what that's been like for you and also how you support people, you know, through that meaning making as it's available to them? I feel that's come in small moments and big moments. And as I'm thinking about it, sometimes the most humbling moment is in that feeling of meaning is when I'm either sitting with a client, no longer really sitting with looking at a client on the screen, which has still been really incredible, or holding space for a class or for a group. And when I can witness that human allowing themselves to go to a dark place or allowing themselves to just feel and process and then witnessing a release or a surrender. And that doesn't mean fixing. There's absolutely no fixing. It doesn't mean forgetting, fixing. It solely means observing and holding space for another person who's in pain and to give them permission to release that. So that happens in small moments, right? And that's what I've sort of found. The meaning is whether it's one-on-one or teaching. I mean, grief yoga happens to be one of the most humbling experiences to facilitate and to guide. And that feels like meaning to me. What does grief yoga look like? Like what would someone expect if they signed up for a grief yoga? It's a workshop, right? Or is it a It's a class. It's a class. It's a class. I've also done it where it's um, incorporated within a workshop or a retreat, but I have been teaching them as a class on Zoom. So grief yoga is definitely not like you're coming to do a vinyasa flow. Okay. No, that's not. It's. It does the name does not even do it justice because it's really a journey and an experience. In grief yoga, we use movement, breath, and sound to release struggle so you can reconnect back to love. Love it. And can you give us a little preview of some of the tools or strategies that you might use? Is it specific movements? Is it specific poses? I, I don't know. Just yeah, I, so I have no idea what to ask. We go through a cycle and the cycle. And again, in each cycle, we're using movement, breath, and sound. Okay. Maybe not always all three, but movement and breath always, sometimes sound. So we start off with awareness. So really being aware of where you're feeling some of the discomfort, some of the challenge, some of the grief, where it resides in your body, and then starting to move that around. Because as we know, there's that phrase of the issues are in your tissues. Right. So it's really allowing to identify where some of the pain sits in your body and start to move that around. We move through as a way to express some of that out, some sound and movements. So that's where it can get, I don't want to give too much away because okay. <laughs> but, but we use different ways to express ourselves using sound again, to release it and really to tap in, to move from awareness, maybe to a sense of power, empowerment or courage And we move to a space of connection and connection could be to yourself. It could be to spirit. It could be to another person and then surrender. It doesn't necessarily mean, it just may mean letting go just for a moment or peace. 
whatever that may mean to somebody. Sounds like a beautiful process. And I think it is so true that oftentimes when we are processing loss or pretty much anything that's happening, most of us think to process from the level of mind. And yet when we can get really present with ourselves and present with our bodies, right? It's such a deeper, more profound level of healing. So I'm so glad that you are connecting people with that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's why it's been so interesting of a process because grief yoga, I still, I bring it in with my clients work. If something comes up, it's like, okay, let's, let's process that. And it, or are you open to processing that in a different way? Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. And it sounds like you really have that mind, body, spirit approach to supporting people. And Beth, since this is a podcast about intuition, the question that I always ask my guests is, what does intuition mean to you? And how do you experience your inner wisdom? I'm going to feel into that for a second. Before you asked the question, (laughs) I was actually thinking about what's happened or what has really sort of taken over for me is that I feel that I'm much more intuitively led. And that is part of what has come from my experience because I've, in those moments of quiet or release, when you release using the body, breath and sound, and it's quiet, that is when I am able to listen to my inner guidance. And I feel that my intuition or my wisdom is, it's so hard to explain, as you know, in words. <laughs> Take your time. It's more believing in the unseen than the seen. I love that. That's beautiful. It's sort of sifting for me. It's been sifting through and not necessarily quieting. I mean, yes, quieting the mind, but I don't necessarily believe that thoughts go away. (laughs) I've never been able to just not have a thought come through. So, you know, when you start learning to meditate and the teachers, I was like, quiet, okay, quiet your mind. And then it revs up more. So, well, first of all, it's an ongoing practice to tap into intuition and wisdom. I think one way that I've been trying to cultivate that more is often making it playful because it can be so serious, right? Like when I told you I was listening to your podcast and walked by the clarity truck, (laughs) you know, so it's those things that are, and then acknowledging, thank you that I'm able to receive this and then bring it to earth school. (laughs) Yes. And there's a beautiful wisdom in the body. When you were talking I saw you moving. I saw you moving with colors all around you. And I really got the sense. And so you'll tell me if this, if this resonates or not, but I really got the sense that you're someone who really experiences her intuition through that embodied awareness, through those moments of presence, through that moment of being at one with your breath, with your body. And it's just beautiful. And if you can teach other people to do that, or even if you can just have fun doing that yourself, It's so beautiful and so important. And, you know, we sometimes have these lofty goals about what intuition or stuff is supposed to look like or what meditation is supposed to look like. I know I I spend hours going, why are my thoughts still happening? (laughs) But that's what thoughts do. And meditation is, of course, not so much about stilling the mind, although if you can get there, that's divine. It's mostly just letting the mind chatter and remembering, oh, that's not what I am, right? Yeah. And I love though that you saw me dancing with a lot of colors. I will say that what I've learned is that my intuition and my guidance is very visual. And so 
what I no longer do is dismiss it of like, oh, there's my imagination again, or I'm crazy, or what am I seeing? Or so now I more just welcome that in when it shows up and get curious and trying to make it a little bit more playful. I love it. And play is the best way to do everything in my book, but most definitely connecting with intuition and spirit. Can I add one thing about play? Can I add one thing about play? So I also got trained in kids yoga, which is deep play for kids. And what I want to say about that too is that, yes, how important play is because life has become so serious. And I do feel with grief, I find that, you know, I can only speak for myself that I have been in the depths of the darkest dark. And so because of that, I also know the lightest and brightest of the light. And so when you let yourself play, right, there's that joy. And so even if it's just for like a moment, you know that that is, and that's so much people often talk about, you know, I said it before, the issues are in your tissues, but our body remembers joy too. She sure does. So that's, I love that you saw me dancing. And I just wanted to bring that piece in because I think working with kids in this way is they need it right now so desperately. Oh yeah, it's so powerful. But they often can be our teachers because they're way more close to remembering what it's like to be in joy than many of us adults. That's true. (laughs) Beth, we have to wrap up. Is there anything else that you, you know, would love to share with listeners before we do so? I just think that I want people to know that they're not alone. They're not alone, that there is support out there and to give yourself permission to whoever it is to ask for help and to, again, like we were saying to begin, no matter what your story is, that it's important to share and to process and to release and to acknowledge what you have been through and that you don't ever have to do it alone. Community is just so important. That's so beautiful. All right, Beth, if people want to find you, take a course, do some one-on-one and any other offerings that you have, where do they find you? They can find me at bethsegaloff.com, my website on Facebook, Beth Segaloff Therapeutic Coaching. And Instagram is beth.segaloff. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. We will have all of those links in the episode notes. Beth, thank you so much. This has been such an amazing conversation. I learned so much and I really appreciate you sharing your light and your wisdom with us today. Thank you so much. So grateful to be here. Yay. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you found joy, strength, inspiration, and clarity from today's episode. If you'd like to learn more and connect with an amazing group of like-minded souls, please join us over on Facebook in the Intuitive Connection Community Facebook group, where we explore these topics in deeper detail, have additional live teachings, and host Facebook Lives with our amazing guests. I hope to see you there. And of course, if you want to learn more about me or the work that I do, please check out my webpage, victoriashawintuitive.com. Thank you so much again and namaste. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death. 
dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.